The City Quick Connect podcast is brought to you by the Municipal Association of South Carolina. Ordinarily, data from the most recent census, the 2020 census, would have already been released. But uh, because of the COVID-19 pandemic, this past year has not been an ordinary year. Announcements from the U.S. Census Bureau have indicated that delays in the census process are going to push the release of that census data into the fall of this year, 2021, which is around the time that many cities and towns have been scheduled to have elections. What this all means and what municipalities can do in this situation in terms of their redistricting and their elections is what we are going to be talking about today. I am Russell Cox, editor of the Municipal Association of South Carolina's Uptown Publication, and today I am joined by Eric Scheidel, General Counsel for the Municipal Association. Eric, how are you today? Uh, Good morning, Russell. I'm great. Thank you for asking. Glad to hear. Glad to hear. So to begin, can we talk about the legal framework, the background for redistricting and how that is going to run into the election schedule for many cities and towns this year? I'm happy to, Russell. The 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 first, I think we need to be clear that the the issue here applies only in single member wards. That, that's going to help help you understand what I'm going to explain about the legal rules. For, for people who are elected at large, like mayors, if they're elected citywide or if you have at large council seats, th- these rules don't apply. Everybody in the city or town votes for those people and you're mm-hmm. fine. When you have single member wards or districts or whatever you call them locally, they're, they're wards under state law, but sometimes we call them districts. There's two requirements for how those wards are set up. The first is the Equal Protection Clause, which the courts have said it says a lot of things. But in this context, what the Equal Protection Clause means is that each person gets one vote, one person, one vote. And so you can imagine a situation in which let's imagine that one ward has 100 people in it and another ward has 300 people in it. They each get to elect one council person, right? Mm-hmm. And so that that's a violation of one person, one vote. So what this means is that the wards have to be approximately equal in size. And so redistricting there means that your wards may have changed in population since the last census. Some parts of your city or town may have grown very quickly. The ward may have grown. Mm-hmm. Some wards may have had stable or declining population. And so the, the, the relative populations within the wards vary over time. And so part of redistricting is to make sure that each ward has approximately the same number of people in it. It's kind of a rebalancing process. Re, yeah, rebalancing. Okay, and the second issue is is under the Voting Rights Act. the The Voting Rights Act the Voting Rights Act is is complicated. There's a lot of contrary court cases about it. But but what the text of the act, the way it's been interpreted, is in this context that that your wards have to be drawn so that your minority voters have an equal opportunity to elect representatives of their choice. There are a number of ways that governments can deny minority voters the right to elect representatives of their choice. There have been examples where governments have put all of the minority population into a single ward. There have been situations in which local governments or state governments would distribute minority voters 
throughout all wards so that they're diluted. Yeah, so that, it dilutes the voting power. So it dilutes the voting those, power, yeah. the voting powers of the minorities. So, so essentially, there's no. I can't give you like a a gold standard here. There is data analysis. What 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 the Voting Rights Act requires is that is that your wards be designed with your local demographics in mind so that you meet the test that minority voters have a ch- have an opportunity to elect representatives of their choosing. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. So what all this means, we're, we're going to start moving quicker now. The, the, the rules are complicated, <laughs> but, but what it all means is that every 10 years, the census comes out. And when the census comes out, governments all across the country, from the state to the local level, uh, engage in what's called redistricting, which is they look at their wards, they look at the new census, and they draw new ward lines. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it takes time. You can't do it the day the census data comes out. There's a lot of calculation in it. Right. There's processes involved. There's demographic analysis. There's mapping. Uh, it's a complicated process. It takes time. M- minimum of months. Mm-hmm. And in some cases, as we'll talk about later, longer than months. And, and because this year we won't have the census data, um, e- even without tables until August, and, and I think the full release is September 30th, mm-hmm. the fact is there's no way to get redistricting done before if you have November elections this year with single member districts or wards, you're not going to have redistricting done by then. Mm-hmm. It's just not possible. And and not only, even if you could get it done before the election, under state law, the filing periods would have already closed. Mm-hmm. So let's say even if you got redistricting done for the election, you might find out, well, people filed in the wrong wards as candidates. I mean, the filing periods close in August. So you've already got your candidates set up. And, and the fact is, you know, you're, you're going to be, if you have those elections, which we'll talk about later, they, they will almost necessarily be done on the 2010 census. You're not going to have time to redistrict on the 2020 census. So you put together uh, kind of a briefing on all of this that's on the Municipal Association website, uh, www.masc.sc. And as I understand from that discussion... Federal courts have indicated that the release of census data, be 2020 census data in this case, does not require governments to immediately abandon their existing districts, wards, and switch over to something else for new elections. Yeah, that's right. If, if you think about your cities and towns, um, I, I mean, if this, you know, the concepts we've talked about, equal, equal numbers of voters in each ward and demographic parity under the Voting Rights Act, um, th- those two issues, um, th- they change all the time. You know, and if you had to, if every election had to be mapped to what the conditions in your wards were that day, you would be constantly engaged in a redistricting process, right? Mm-hmm. So the courts have said, how often do you have to redistrict? I mean, that's the big question. How often do you have to do it? Like the goal is equal number of voters in compliance with the Voting Rights Act. So how often do you have to do it? Mm-hmm. And, and what the courts have said is no more often than every 10 years when census data is released. So what this means, you, you know, you have to, the standard is you don't have to do it any more often than census data. Mm-hmm. That's why we say the census data triggers the, the obligation to redistrict. But then the next question is, if the release of the census data every 10 years is what triggers the redistricting obligation, how, how soon is that obligation effective? Is it effective the day the census data is released? Mm-hmm. Is it effective, you know, do you have 
time to work on it. And, and the general rule that the courts have said is that you have to have a reasonable plan and process to adopt your updated maps incorporating the new census data. There are cases in which, you know, the, the, the government in, you know, federal cases in which the government in question, they just didn't do anything. It's like the census data has come out and it's five years later and they just haven't updated their wards or maps. And the court mm. says that's not reasonable. You mm. can't just sit around and wait. But but here's a, you know, there's no like Supreme United States Supreme Court case on this. But but here's an, an illustrative case from a district court in Pennsylvania. And, and what happened in that case, um, it's cited in our article that our article that we've released through our website. It's called Garcia versus 2011 Legislative Reapportionment Commission. Pennsylvania had a general election in November of 2012. So this was following the 2010 census. When would the census data for 2010 have required redistricting? So the fact is the Census Bureau in that case had, they released the census data in March of 2011. They were on time that year, mm -hmm. that census. That's the normal schedule spring of the year following. So March of 2011 would have been when people expected it. It came out. There's a statutory process in Pennsylvania for how you do the new maps. They propose the maps. There's appeals. There's public hearings. But the punchline is the revised map was not completed by the November 2012 election. So this is 20 months after the release of the census data, mm -hmm. right? Census data comes out March of 2011. The election is in November of 2012. It's still using the 2000 census data. Mm -hmm. And so the plaintiffs in that case said, that's unreasonable. These, these wards are out of or They were districts in this case. They're out of balance. This violates the Equal Protection Clause in the Voting Rights Act. And, and what the court did was they said, look, they've got a reasonable process. They're going through the process. They, they, they proposed maps. There were hearings. There were appeals. The appeals were resolved. And because of that, there's no constitutional violation, no violation of the Voting Rights Act. As in the language, the, the kind of smoking gun language from this case is that there's no constitutional violation as long as they, quote, comply with a reasonably conceived plan for periodic reapportionment, end quote. So that meant having the election in November 2012 using 2000 census data almost 20 months after the release of the 2010 census data was okay. Mm -hmm. I conclude, and I think we've, we've, the municipal attorneys and state officials across the state who have looked at this have concluded that what this means for us is with a fall release of the census data, there will be no constitutional violation or Voting Rights Act violation if you go forward with your elections in November on the old maps. There's simply no reasonable process that could complete the new maps before that election. Mm -hmm. so, so we've been advising municipalities that, um, that if you want to go forward with your November elections, pl please do so. The, the only advice that, that we would add to that is when you go forward with those elections, make sure you are engaged in a process to get your new maps done. When the, when the census data comes out, start your redistricting process. Mm -hmm. A lot of our cities and towns are working with Revenue and Fiscal Affairs, the, the state office that helps with redistricting. They can draw maps. They can analyze data. If you're working with them, you'll be in a process. If you're doing it yourself, just make sure that, that you've got a reasonable time frame to get the new maps done. So, so that's the redistricting side, but that's not the only question here. There's also the question of 
when cities and towns decide to schedule their elections. And so I believe for this side of things, it involves South Carolina law. Yeah, the, the question here is, let's say you have elections scheduled for November. In the ordinary course of affairs, you, you have odd year November elections, or you have an election in October of we have at least one city that has an October 2021 election. Mm-hmm. Maybe you have elections in the spring of 2022. The, 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 and those are regularly scheduled. Like you have a standing ordinance that says our elections for, you know, we have staggered terms, you know, and the elections for those staggered four-year terms happen November of odd years. Say that's who you are. What we're telling you is you can go forward to those elections as regularly scheduled. And, and there will be no constitutional or federal statutory violation. But a lot of cities have said, well, what if we know, just because of local conditions, we know we're way out of balance, and we want to delay those elections. We just want to say, hey, the November election is postponed mm-hmm. until, you know, how long will it take to get for you to get it done? You say May of 2022 or whatever. I don't, I'm not sure how long it's going to take any given city to get their maps done. But let's say you move, you delay it by six months. Can you do that? And I think the answer to that is yes. The, the South Carolina Code in Title V says municipalities may establish by ordinance, quote, the time for general and special elections within the municipality. And the courts have, have, have said that that allows you to change dates of elections, even if it extends or shortens current members of council. So let's say that you delayed your November election until may of 2022 one question is well that gives the the incumbent six extra months is that illegal under state law and the general rule to that is no that if you have a a a good enough reason for why you're moving the date of your election then the courts and the ag are going to say that's fine Mm -hmm. Um, obviously there's cases where it could be abused you you know um, and, and there's not case law on that but in this case we're pretty comfortable saying that it's it's likely that a court would say if you delay your elections, the stated reason for delaying the elections is to allow us time to complete the redistricting process, that that decision will be respected. Okay. We've never seen it before, so we can't <laughs> swear, mm-hmm. but that seems the likely outcome here. So to bring all of this together the redistricting questions the um the the questions on election dates all of this all these laws this precedent where does it all leave cities and town governments as they are making their decision about what path they want to take well i mean i I think the you know the the nutshell version is you can either go forward with your elections as planned or you can delay them I think either approach is legal and depending on local circumstances, either approach might make more sense. Mm -hmm. I do want to note um, that the default assumption would be you go forward with the elections. Mm -hmm. You've already scheduled these elections. You've already had filing periods. There's no federal requirement that you delay them. Uh, In every decade before this, there was a process called preclearance. Um, you know, there were covered states that had a history of, of, of voting violations. South Carolina was one of them. This was part of the Voting Rights Act. Yeah, the Voting Rights Act had this process called preclearance. And what preclearance said was in the covered states, I think there were 13 of them, and South Carolina was one of them. It said if you're going to make any change in election, you have to notify the Justice Department 
and they have to pre-clear it before the change in voting becomes effective. Mm -hmm. why, why does that matter? Well, two reasons. One, because pre-clearance doesn't exist anymore. In the, like, five or eight years ago, the United States Supreme Court said that pre-clearance was no longer required. It was unconstitutional to continue to require these states to do it. So there's no pre-clearance process anymore. It used to be that we could ask the Justice Department to approve what we were doing. That, that, that doesn't exist anymore. The second point I want to make is that what's a change affecting voting? Well, one change affecting voting is to draw new maps. If you draw new wards, that's a change affecting voting. Mm -hmm. Changing the date of an election is a change affecting voting. So delaying an election would have required Justice Department preclearance. In the old scheme, when preclearance was still required, the only thing you could do without preclearance would be to go forward with the November elections as scheduled. Mm -hmm. That's not conclusive, but it, it suggests to me that the default would be go forward with the November elections. But if locally you determine, um, and, and let me be clear, we're not recommending that. We're saying that seems to be the default option. Go forward with those elections. If locally, if you're elected officials and your citizenry want to delay the elections, I think that's legally fine. I think there's good policy reasons for doing it. Um, and if that's, but this is ultimately a decision for the elected officials mm -hmm. and for the community. It's, they just need to work out locally. You know, how concerned are we about population and demographic changes since 2010? Is our city really changing? Do we have, um, are, are there really strong citizen objections to going forward with this election on, on an 11 year old map? Mm -hmm. um, you, you know, I mean, I think there's just a lot of um, on the ground questions to be answered here. Uh, one thing th that I do want to add is there's a third option that some th that I've had some conversations with municipal attorneys about is what if you go forward with the November elections as scheduled, complete your redistricting process, and when the new maps are available, call special elections, have another election based on the new maps. So let's say you you're you know, let's say you have you elect a council person to a four-year term in November of 2021. Um, the new maps come out in, say, May or June of 2022. And then would you call a special election to refill that seat based on the new map reward? Um, I, I, I don't have a strong opinion about that, Russell. I think um, I think the question that concerns me about taking that approach is, how do you decide which council members have to run again? Is it every council member? It is possible that an incumbent in, in Ward 1, let's say incumbent in Ward 1, gets elected in November of 2021. They redraw the maps, and despite their efforts to preserve incumbents, the Ward 1, the, the incumbent no longer lives in that ward. Mm-hmm. That seems to be a pretty clear case. Well, you can run a special election for that. I don't think it's required. So that's an easy case. But what about the, the harder case? What about a person who stays in their ward? No other person gets added, no other incumbent gets added to their ward, but the population has shifted by 15%. Mm -hmm. the, the ward map has materially changed. How do you decide who has to run again? And this is, there's no case law on this. But what the South Carolina Code says is, is you can establish the dates of your elections which means if you've established an election in November and you delay it until May, 
you've simply established the date of the election. What you're really doing in this case is you're calling an additional election. You've already had the November 2021 election and you're calling another election. It's not clear that the state law contemplates that. There, you have end up with an extra election that way. One of the hypotheticals that I floated in a conversation with the municipal attorney is, could you basically have a recall? If, if a majority of your council decided that they didn't like one of their council members, could they order a special election to fill that seat? Mm -hmm. Now, obviously, there's questions of intent and reason. The court would look at why did you do that? And if you say, well, the reason we did special elections is because the new, the new maps came out, that's a pretty good reason. I think there's a lot of complexity. I think there are ways to do it, but I think that raises some interesting questions. The possibility of having the general election in November and then calling special elections. An additional election. Right. Yeah. Well, that covers everything we had to cover. Any any final thoughts on this as we as we sign off? No, I'll just say, like, as with many things in the past 18 months, this is unprecedented. <laughs> you know, I've been... That word again. You know, it's like something we've never seen before. Yes. Um, not only do we have uh, a delay in census data that has never happened in my legal career, um, we also have the fact that there's no Justice Department preclearance anymore. Mm -hmm. So th so we're not going to get any guidance from the Justice Department. We're kind of on our own in a, in a new situation, but I hope, I expect that our members are kind of getting used to being... <laughs> In, in uncharted an waters. Unprecedented situation. Yeah. Yes. Speaking of census data and redistricting, there there will be a session on the last day of the Municipal Association's annual meeting, which is taking place July 22nd to 24th. Uh, the title of that session that I'm talking about is Between the Lines, Redistricting and Your Budget. It's going to cover what affects the delay of the census data may have on your city's elections and how you can plan for redistricting and it's going to take a look at how changes in population can impact your municipal budget. Uh, you can learn more about the annual meeting and its sessions at www.masc.sc uh, keyword annual meeting. With that, uh, Eric, thank you so much for joining us today to talk about all of this. Yeah, Russell, my pleasure. Thank you. The City Quick Connect podcast is one of several ways the Municipal Association keeps you informed of the opportunities and issues impacting South Carolina cities and towns. Learn more at www.masc.sc and stay up to date with the Association's latest happenings on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram.